All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for what you're doing. Uh, God, in this place and in our hearts and in our lives. And God, I know there are a lot of other stories of what you're doing. And so, Father, we just pray uh, you continue to help us to be open to what your spirit is doing. Uh, God, that we would be people who walk and surrender um, to your wills and your ways. And God, uh, your blessing will be here. And God, as we continue in Ephesians 6, we pray uh, for your Holy Spirit to be over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we are uh, continuing in our series through spiritual warfare, and I think we've just got a couple more weeks. Um, today we're going to begin talking about the armor of God. We've spent the last uh, four weeks talking about just various uh, topics dealing with spiritual warfare, and today we get to speak on the uh, armor of God. And as we've been uh, reminded every week, and we need to continually be reminded, is that we are in a battle. Uh, whether you like it or not, whether you want to run or hide or uh, whatever, you can't. <laughs> we are in a spiritual battle, and it's happening all the time. There are evil spiritual beings which want to uh, create trouble in your life. In 1 Peter 5, it says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. And if you picture a lion, if you've seen those nature shows or on YouTube, uh, roaming around, uh, who do they run? Usually catch. Uh, they catch the weak ones or the ones falling out of the pack or who, who aren't the strong ones. And this is one of the reasons we need to make sure we're wearing the armor of God, which we're talking about today. Uh, John 10, the thief, that is uh, Satan or evil spirits, they come only to steal, kill, and destroy. And we've talked about how sometimes that they will try to convince you that they are good and that they're going to lead you to a place of power or control or something like that. But they're always, uh, their underlying motive is always to steal, kill, and destroy. And uh, they do a lot of that uh, in this world. 2 Corinthians 2 talks about how Satan is trying to outwit us and that we shouldn't be unaware of his schemes. That he is constantly scheming, uh, constantly looking, constantly examining uh, where he can pounce. Where, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, where he can get a foothold in our, uh, in our lives. Uh, this is so serious that Jesus in Matthew 6, in the model prayer, uh, the model prayer that's supposed to shape our everyday praying, as part of that everyday prayer, he taught us to pray that we should pray that God would deliver us from the evil one. Uh, that I hope this is part of your prayer language, that you're praying, God, uh, protect my family from the evil one. Uh, God, would you protect the church? Would you protect our community? Would you protect me uh, from the evil one? Because this is a real battle uh, that is going on. Jesus taught us to pray this, and Jesus himself prayed this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And we know because God is far superior and the Holy Spirit in us is far stronger than any evil spirit that this is the prayer God loves to answer. He can and does uh, protect us from uh, evil spirits. And so today we're going to talk on the armor of God. And so let's read through uh, the text we've been working on. Ephesians 6. Uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Uh, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Talking about all the various bad guys out there. Uh, that this is a real battle. And there's, again, they're scheming. And so Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Because we're in this battle, be strong in the Lord. And the, one of the ways to be strong is to put on the armor of God that God gives us. Uh, he has provided a way which we can be strong in the midst of this battle. And so he goes on, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and sometimes that happens to be every day, <laughs> sometimes some days are worse, uh, you may able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And we talked about that last week, those evil thoughts that he throws, those lies that he throws into our minds. Uh, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then the text goes on to talk about praying in the spirit at all times, because prayer is just something that's supposed to cover us at all times. And so with this, uh, Paul is using a picture of a Roman soldier, which all his readers would be very familiar with. Uh, they were in, uh, he wrote this to the Ephesians, which was a, a Roman, uh, a place that was um, controlled by the Romans. And so uh, he talks about the belt of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. And uh, it's interesting that soldiers had more than one weapon than just a sword. They had a spear and a dagger, but Paul says we only have one weapon. All the rest is armor. The one weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. Now, again, these weapons are not uh, like physical weapons we put on. These are spiritual weapons. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Because when you're dealing with evil spiritual, uh, evil spirits, uh, worldly weapons don't help much. <laughs> like on TV, you know, when they shoot and it goes right through them, that's what worldly weapons do. I mean, you need spiritual weapons. And this is talking about spiritual weapons. Uh, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That this armor has divine power to it. This uh, sword has divine power. This isn't just your strength or my strength or worldly strength. This is divine strength. And so he tells us to put this armor on. That's an action statement. Uh, he's writing this to believers. Put on your armor. And sometimes there's this uh, silly notion out there that's like, uh, Christians say, I don't have to worry about Satan, I don't have to worry about evil spirits uh, at all, because God's bigger, and I'm a child, I don't have to worry about it at all. Uh, but Paul is writing this to Christians. He's telling believers, put on the armor of God. And so you can have it on, or you can not, not have it on. When you have it on, you are strong and mighty in God. When you don't have it on, you are open to attack. Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, implying if you don't have this armor on, you're not going to be able to stand. 
Uh, you're going to be defeated. You're going to be open to attack. You're going to have killing and stealing and destroying going on in your life. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. We're not to run, ever. <laughs> uh, we are to stand firm. In fact, uh, the, ble- uh, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, they never didn't have armor in the back. It was just in the front. A Roman soldier was never to run. They were to stand firm and to press forward. And this is what we do in the power of Jesus. Uh, We are not to be afraid of evil spirits. We're not to run, but to stand because when we're wearing the armor of God, we are strong in him. Now he says, put on the full armor of God uh, because he's watching. Uh, We never take it off. Uh, A Roman soldier, when he would go into a battle, would put the armor on. When he's done the battle, he'd take it off. Not so with us. Because our battle is not done today. And it's not going to be done tomorrow. It won't be done until Jesus returns or uh, we end up in the new heavens and the new earth uh, through death. I mean, it's going to be a battle. We never, ever take it off. And, uh, and we don't take this off because Satan's always watching. Again, he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And there are times when you may feel strong and you have the armor of God in. You're like, I'm feeling victorious. And it's that point often where we end up in danger, if you're anything like me. Because usually when I'm feeling great and wonderful and strong, it's like when I, then I really, I was like, I don't have to really pray as much. I don't need to worship as hard. I mean, things are great. And this is when we begin to let go of the armor of God. As, it, as uh, Luke 4 says, when the devil had finished all his tempting, when he was tempting Jesus, he left him until an opportune time. And he does this with us as well. There might be times when we have the armor of God and we're strong. And Satan says, can't do much there. I'll wait for an opportune time. I'll wait till he puts the shield down. I'll wait till she takes off that, that uh, armor and, uh, or, the, or the helmet. And, and then I'm going to make my move. And he knows us. Uh, he knows where we're weak. And sometimes it's easy to know where we're weak. I mean, if Satan were to attack you, what area would he attack you in? If an evil spirit were to tempt you in some area, what area would that be in? And that's one of the reasons Paul says, put on the armor and keep it on. We don't take it off ever, so we might stand firm. All right, we're going to look at three pieces of armor today. Next week I'm going to be gone, but our uh, awesome Gary is going to be here. And then a week after we're going to hit the last three. Ephesians 6. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your well, uh, waist. Now this belt was not like a little skinny belt like ours. It was a full belt and it brought, uh, offered protection all the way down to the knees and protection from those really vital spots that uh, uh, soldiers had. Uh, but he says, stand firm with it buckled around your waist. Uh, don't take off the belt of truth. Now, uh, what is truth? This is the old question that Pilate asked. Well, the truth is uh, it combats lies, as we talked about last week. One of our armor, uh, pieces of armor is the truth. This is to combat the weapon Satan uses that we talked about last week, which are lies. His favorite weapon is to throw lies at us, to throw those flaming darts of doubt, those little lies. And John 8 says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And last week we talked about the three areas that he loves to get us to believe lies. 
He wants to get to you to believe lies about God. He wants to get you to believe lies about yourself. And he would love to get you to believe lies about other people. He's always interested in breaking relationship. And if he can get you to believe a lie about another person, relationship is broken. If he can get you to believe a lie about God, you will pull away. If he can get you to believe a lie about yourself, you're going to find yourself in shame and kind of ineffective in the kingdom. And so how do we combat lies? The belt of truth. Now truth in the Bible is primarily actually a person. Uh, Truth is a person. Uh, We have actual relationship with the truth. Uh, John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's where we get our life from. It's from Jesus. It's, it's our source of life. And not from how much money we have, not from our job, not from, you know, our education. We get it from Jesus. But he's also the truth. And when we're in a relationship with Jesus, we're relating to the person who is truth. And we know truth. Truth is also the word of God, as it says in 2 Timothy 2, that the word of God is, is truth. And when we're in relation with Jesus and a relation with this, this book, it's how we tell the difference between truth and lies. When Satan throws a lie at you, I mean, how do you know if it's a lie? <laughs> when you have a thought in your head about God, again, it could be me, it could be God, it could be Satan. How do we know if that's truth or a lie? It's why we need to be close to Jesus, who is the truth. This is why we need to know this book, because it's true. This book helps us discern. Jesus in us helps us discern. I mean, it's kind of like a minefield. If you've ever been to Israel, you'll see these signs in various spots. Fenced, uh, because there's still landmines in these spots and you can't go through. Uh, But let's say you had to go through one of these areas filled with landmines. And uh, and someone gives you a map. and shows you exactly where to step. Shows exactly where the landmines are to give you safe passage through the field. This is the truth of Jesus. This is the word of God. Because this life is filled with landmines. Satan is constantly planting landmines around lies that he's hoping that you might believe about God or about yourself or about another person. And it's the word of God in a relationship with Jesus which helps us navigate through the landmine. And so we don't take off the belt of truth. Uh, you need to be in this book. Uh, There are so many options and ways through apps and audio and just reading that you can absorb this into your mind so you can tell right away, that's a lie, that's the truth, I'm going that way, I'm not going that way. As we talked about last week, taking every thought captive, in order to do that, you need to know the truth. And it's found here and in your relationship with Jesus. Next, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, uh, which we are to put in place and never, ever take off. Again, armor in the front, none in the back, only supposed to go forward with this on. Now, uh, what does he mean by the breastplate of righteousness? Because the Bible talks about righteousness in two different ways. There's the righteousness we get from Jesus, and there's also the idea of righteous living. And uh, both of these are important in spiritual warfare, so we'll talk briefly about both. The first one is this righteousness we receive from Jesus. One of the armorers, uh, pieces of armor that protects us from evil spirits is knowing that we are righteous because of our relationship with Jesus. Satan will do anything and everything to get you to take this off so that he can fill you with shame. The breastplate of righteousness keeps us from 
shame. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, he lived this perfect life, to be sin for us on the cross, every single mistake you've ever made, every action, no matter how small, how large, that was just horrible and evil and awful, uh, all of that was taken and placed on Jesus on the cross. He became sin for us so that in, in him uh, we might become the righteousness of God. This is uh, uh, called the great switcheroo, if you will. <laughs> that Jesus lived a pers- perfect life. You and I have not lived a perfect life. And Jesus says, you want to trade. I'll take all of your sin, every single mistake you've ever made, past, present, future, and I will take that upon myself. And because I've lived a perfect life and never sinned, I will give you that life. Uh, we receive the righteousness of Christ. Meaning that when God looks at you and you're in Christ, he, he looks at you as if you lived Jesus' life. He looks at you with eyes of peace. And if you don't understand this, you will find yourself in shame. You'll find yourself saying, I don't know if I can worship God. I just had the worst week. I don't think he'd want me. I'm such a screw up. I mean, I don't know if I should even pray because God's not going to answer my prayer anyway because I'm such a mess up. Romans talks about this all over the place. But it says this, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. I mean, uh, we, we can't become right in God's sight by trying hard because we mess up when we try hard. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. In other words, there's a way that you can be righteous in God's sight. There's a way that he can look at you with eyes of peace. And it's not about do's and don'ts. And it's not about following the rules or not following the rules. There's a way that we may be made right without keeping the requirements of the law. And then he says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And it doesn't matter how horrible of a life you've lived. If you think you've lived the worst life out of anyone on this planet, it's not how good you are or how bad you are. It's about placing your faith in Jesus. And when you place your faith in Jesus, this great switcheroo happens where God looks at you through Jesus and he sees you as righteous. For everyone has sinned and falls short of, the, of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. I mean, it's like uh, if you picture the throne room of God, and you know it's so good and it's so beautiful, and you know the throne room of God is surrounded by power. The throne room of God is surrounded by everything you've ever wanted. It's surrounded by answers to prayer. It's surrounded by grace, and and you just want to go in there, but there's like a sign at the door that says, only clean shirts allowed. (laughs) But we all have dirty shirts because we mess up and we play in the mud when we shouldn't be and we can't go in. And and again, Jesus comes up with this beautiful white shirt on. And he says, do you want to trade shirts? And you're like, I I need to be in that throne room. Uh, Yes, I'll trade shirts. And so he takes your dirty shirt 
you get his clean shirt. And even though you totally don't deserve it, you walk into the throne room and you receive all these blessings and you receive power and grace and you get to worship and you're changed. You don't deserve it at all, but this is what Jesus has given you. This is called undeserved privilege. This is what the Bible says of our, of, of, of our position. Romans 5, since we have been made right in God's sight, remember that's, that's past tense. Do you understand that? You have been made right. If you love Jesus right now, you are right in God's sight. Even if you've had a bad week, you are right in God's sight. We have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God. That, that God the Father looks at you with eyes of peace. He said, I'm so pleased with you. I, I love you so much. And you're like, I don't deserve this. Man, of course you don't deserve this. It's, just, it's about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is that good. Uh, we have peace with God because, notice it doesn't say what you have done. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And this is why Satan wants to get to doubt this, because we have a hard time believing this. How can this be, man? I, I didn't have, a, I had some bad thoughts yesterday. I mean, how could this be that God looks at me with eyes of peace and love, and he sees me as if I lived, how can that be? It's undeserved privilege. It's called grace. That's what the word means. Grace means getting what you don't deserve. <laughs> we don't deserve this, but he has given to this. But Satan doesn't want you to know this. Satan will do anything to get you to say you really shouldn't come to church today because you had a bad week. The roof's going to fall on you. <laughs> you better not pray because God's not going to answer your prayer because, you know, whatever. Or, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. He wants to be, push you into a place of shame where you move outside of this righteousness and all of a sudden it's based upon how good you're doing. Uh, it's about how good I am. If I just try hard enough, then maybe I can go into the throne room of grace. Uh, he wants us to be filled with shame, which brings hopelessness, which brings depression, a feeling of failure and isolation. It makes you want to disappear. It makes you think that everything's your fault. It makes you think you can't be forgiven. It, it leaves you with a deep hatred of yourself. It leaves you powerless. Uh, it makes you feeling like you're a mistake and you have no value. It makes you feel like you don't deserve to be loved, forgiven, and cared for makes you feel that you can't receive God's grace, that you actually need to work for it. It makes you feel that you need to somehow pay off your sin in order to get back into God's presence. These are the lies Satan wants you to believe. But Jesus says, I look at you with eyes of peace. I have made you righteous. Come into my throne room and be changed. So what it says in Hebrews, that we can boldly go into the throne room of grace. I mean, again, just picture the throne room of grace. And he says, you can boldly go in. And if you understand the righteousness that God has given you, it doesn't matter how bad of a week you've had, you can go boldly in. But if you believe the lies of Satan, you're going to say, well, I better not go in. I can't go in. I, I've just had a horrible week. This is bad. God's going to really condemn me and beat me up because I've had a bad week. Those are lies from Satan. He has given you righteousness. It says you can boldly go into the throne room of grace in your time of need. I mean, when are you in need? It's when you're at your worst. And he says you can boldly go in even when you're at your worst because you've been covered by the righteousness of Jesus. I mean, don't let shame cover you. Uh, uh, Satan wants to condemn you. 
But in Jesus, it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan constantly just, if you have feelings of condemnation, that's just one way to know it's not from God. God will convict you. He will always draw you close. And one of the ways you know the difference between condemnation and God's conviction is God's conviction always brings you close to him because you know he's the answer. Conviction will always cause you to run away. We'll run away from others and run away from God. That's what Satan wants. But again, we keep the breastplate of righteousness on, knowing I can boldly go into the throne room of grace. Even at my worst week, I know God is where my help is. God is where forgiveness is. I'm going that way. That's what God wants. I mean, there are so many people who believe the shame that they're feeling is from God. It's not. I mean, I don't know how many times God needs to say this, but he says it three times. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Romans 10, 11, anyone, no matter how much you've screwed up this week, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Again, it's why I need to know the truth. That's why I need to be in this book because it tells you that you have been made righteous through Jesus and you take every thought captive as we talked about last week. We make it obedient and we say, I am totally accepted by God and he looks at me with eyes of peace. Not because I'm so great, but because Jesus is so great. Now on the other hand, there is also a, uh, oh, I should read this verse because it's good. <laughs> Colossians 2. It says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Again, Satan wants to get you to believe that God won't forgive a certain sin. God's not going to forgive you for that one. Again, do you, do you know the truth? God has forgiven us all our sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. I mean, if you just stop for a moment and think about every time you've messed up in your life, uh, every time you've hurt somebody, every time you've damaged a relationship, every time when you should have acted, when you didn't act, and you just compiled all your sin, and you put it all like in a, you know, a thousand filing cabinets, because at least it'd be that much for me, and, and, and your name is written all over it, and you're just like, you're so condemned. Again, Jesus walks in, and he crosses out your name on every one of those sins, and he puts his name on it, and he says, canceled, it's paid. I mean, if someone pays off your mortgage, you don't need to keep going in trying to pay it off. It's canceled. <laughs> we don't have to keep going around trying to pay off our sin. It's done through Jesus. And it says here, having disarmed the powers and authorities. Again, that's talking about evil spirits. They are disarmed. Satan is called the accuser. He's wanting to continually condemn you and accuse you of your sin, but it's been canceled. But you've got to put on the armor for that to work. You've got to put on the armor for that to be effective in your life. If you don't think it's canceled, you listen to his condemnation, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be walking around in shame. Not, again, you take every thought captive, you make it obedient to Christ. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. And so we receive this righteousness from Jesus. We have peace with God. It's not about what we've done. It's because of Jesus. Now, some of the people say, well, you know, you shouldn't teach that stuff because then people are just going to go sin all the time, knowing they're righteous before Jesus. Well, it's a whole other topic, but theologically, 
we have been imputed righteousness, but he also imparts righteousness. In other words, as I said in Philippians, he has given you the desire to obey. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he not only gives you righteousness, but he births in you this desire to love him and to follow him. Uh, I don't know why anyone, <laughs> after receiving the gospel, would just say, well, I'm just going to just sin all the time because I'm forgiven. That makes no sense to me. I mean, imagine if you were dying of some incurable disease and there was no hope, and some guy uh, spends $20 billion of his own money and risks his life, and he finds the cure for you. And he does this for you, and he brings it, and he cures you. Uh, you wouldn't, after that, spit in his face and punch him in the face. You'd be like, man, I owe you my life. And this is how we respond to Jesus. I owe you my life. And so out of that, uh, a second point of the breastplate of righteousness is uh, our own righteousness. That there is the, the, the armor of, our, of Jesus' righteousness we don't take off. We don't allow thoughts of condemnation. We don't allow thoughts of shame into our mind. We push those away by the truth of Jesus. But we have also noted that your own righteousness makes a difference in this battle. You remember this text? We talked about this a lot. And do not give the devil a foothold. When you don't live a righteous life, you create footholds in your life. Uh, you're still righteous in God's sight, but you've created a foothold which the enemy now has authority over your life in an area. Uh, you, you basically give him legal ground. I mean, if you continue in anger and you're not dealing with anger, that will become a foothold. Uh, you're still righteous <laughs> in God's sight, but you've got a foothold and Satan is at work. Your own righteous living uh, keeps the enemy away. Just living for Jesus, loving people, loving him is really important for you in this spiritual battle. And we've talked quite a bit about that, so we'll go on. All right, last one for today. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of feet. Now, they had pretty funky boots for soldiers back in those days, air-conditioned and everything. Uh, uh, this is what their, their boots, they had spikes on the bottom. And Paul says here to make sure you keep these, these boots on as part of your armor all the time. Again, we never take these boots off. Now, this uh, phrase can be awkward to figure out what it means because in the Greek, literally, it says this. And having shod yourselves as to the feet in readiness of the gospel of peace. Say what? Well, that's exactly what theologians say. Say, say what? I mean, what does Paul mean, right? Uh, there are two options. One is he's talking about uh, putting on these shoes means sharing the gospel of peace. They bridge off Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The NIV, which we're using here, takes the other approach, meaning that we put on the shoes of peace, meaning that we stand in the peace that the gospel gives us. And we never, ever, ever take off the shoes of peace. We never, ever allow the peace of Jesus to leave us. That we remain in the peace that God gives us no matter what is going on around us. There may be a spiritual battle uh, maybe difficult times, but we keep those shoes of peace on us at all times. And peace is part of the gospel. Not only do you receive righteousness, but you actually receive peace. 
He infuses you with this peace, which in Philippians 4, uh, Paul says, passes all understanding. Like, you can't even understand it sometimes. You're like, even the worst day, everything's going wrong, but it's just like, man, I feel so at peace in my spirit. That's the peace from God. Here's my Christmas text of the day, one verse, Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And if you're a believer in Jesus, his favor is resting on you, which means there's a gift of peace you have in your heart. There's a gift of peace that he wants you to wear all the time. It's a fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work in you. One of the fruits is peace. He has given you these boots, and he says, put them on. And wear them at all times. Never, ever, ever allow peace to leave you and be gone. Jesus understood this. I love the story in Mark 8. This is the storm. Uh, It says, a furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And so there's the storm. Uh, The disciples are freaking out. (laughs) They think they're going to die. Jesus is asleep. Now, who's got the shoes of peace on in that moment? It's Jesus. There's a storm going on, and he's asleep because he knows God will never leave him nor forsake him. He's got the shoes of peace on. He's not worried. The disciples are freaking out. They wake up Jesus, and Jesus just stands up, and this may have been a a storm caused by evil spirits because he rebukes it. Quiet, be still. It's calm. And notice Jesus didn't say to his disciples, wow, that was so scary. You should have been freaking out. All You should have been really anxious. It's like, why are you so afraid? Or why did you take off those shoes of of peace? Why did you remove your boots of peace? you got to keep them on at all times, even in the storms. So I tell you, we walk on all kinds of terrain through the week. Sometimes we have difficult difficult terrain. Sometimes that terrain seems impossible. But always between us and the terrain of this world, what do we have on? Our boots of peace. That there's always this insulator between us and this trouble, this insulator of peace. And we never take them off. And this... This is why we put on the armor of God. You've got you to put them on. This is where you take every thought captive and you just keep reminding yourself, you've got to walk in peace. And one of the reasons in contact of spiritual warfare why we can walk in peace is because we know we have authority over evil spirits. Satan wants you to get scared of evil spirits. And I've had some people say, you know, this is kind of a scary series only if you don't understand your authority. Oh, you have authority over evil spirits. This is what uh, Jesus said to the 72 disciples when they came back. He said, they said, even the demons submit to us. When you're in Jesus, demons submit to you. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, I saw you do a big impact. You, You took out a lot of those evil spirits. That's awesome. And then Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. He's not talking about literal snakes and scorpions, but he's talking about evil spirits. I have given you all authority over them. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice 
that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's got to be our greatest joy, is our relationship with Jesus. If your ministry, if your ability to cast out demons, if your prophetic gift, if anything else gives you more joy than your relationship with Jesus, you are headed in tro- into trouble. <laughs> it's got to be about Jesus. But we have authority. And because you have authority, you don't fear. I mean, when a little ant is walking down the next to you, you're not like, ah, an ant! Well, maybe some of you are, but you shouldn't be. Because you know you're bigger, right? You know you're stronger. <laughs> and this is what, we, we keep the shoes of peace on. Philippians 1 says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. And for them, this may have meant persecution, which means being hurt, which is pretty scary. But he says, don't be intimidated. Don't take off your shoes of peace. This may be evil spirits. Don't be intimidated by them. You keep those shoes of peace on. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. And are you walking in peace today? You got that, the shoes of peace on, protecting you from the troubles of this world. You got the, the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that God doesn't shame you. He doesn't condemn you. He loves you more than you could ever know. And you have the belt of truth on. Be in this book. And so God, we just pray you would help us to seal this armor onto our lives. Uh, God, that you would help us carry the belt of truth. That you would help us to stand in the righteousness that we have been given through Jesus Christ. And God, that you would uh, just help us to walk in peace at all times. That we just never take those shoes off. Knowing, God, that you will never, ever leave us nor forsake us. And that is truth. I know Satan wants us to doubt us, but you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so in that we stand. In your righteousness we stand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you for hanging in there today. Uh, call the worship team up. And we're going to close as we worship. And as we worship, uh, again, just as you can open your heart to evil spirits and create a foothold, When you worship, you're opening your heart up to Jesus. And when you open your heart up to Jesus, he transforms you. Uh, His presence transforms you. And so the more you just enter into his presence and to his love and just make it about Jesus, the more you're going to find yourself being transformed, the more you're going to encounter his goodness and love. So let's worship him.